Today's episode is going to be very heavy. You know these crimes. Maybe not these specific criminals, but you know the excuses, the this go-to phrase when something truly horrific has happened. When a mother or father look at their innocent child and brutally massacre them. They will look the judge, the jury, they will look you in the face and they say that they did it because God told me to. Our first story is about Dina Schlosser, who was born in Upstate New York in 1969. Dina started out in this world with tremendous suffering. At only eight years old, she was diagnosed with hydrocephalus, which you may remember being the central theme of our while ago Ohio Melonheads episode. It's the disease that comes from excess cerebral spinal fluid building up in the brain, and it can obviously hurt the brain, cause deformities, and lead to a painful death. So Dina would endure eight surgeries to implant shunts into her brain, heart, and abdomen, all before she was 13. Although she survived the surgeries without any major injuries, the surgeries required her to shave her head, which led to merciless bullying from her classmates. After this, she would go on to study at Marist College, where she would earn her bachelor's degree in psychology. While at Marist, Dino would meet John Schlosser, who ultimately took his future in-law's future tuition money. He would then skip school, never using the money that he stole, and never earned a degree. Ignoring the obvious red flags from this, Dina married this man and they would move to Fort Worth, Texas, where John began a computer science business and refused to let Dina have a job. Once fully isolating her, he forced the family into attending a fundamentalist church called the Water of Life, ran by a crazy person named Doyle Davidson, who claimed that God spoke to him in visions. Naturally, this would lead to a downward spiral, and John quit his job, thinking himself as a wise consultant who people should be paying for. But this would immediately lead to their going into bankruptcy and having to move. After foreclosing their house, they then moved 120 miles to be closer to their new church, which means they were driving 120 miles every single week to go to this guy. During this time, Dina would suffer three miscarriages prior to having her two children, and the birth of her second child, Margaret, in 2003, sent her in such a deep postpartum depression. Published reports later revealed that the day after Margaret was born, Dina almost immediately attempted suicide. She was then hospitalized in a psychiatric ward where she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder with psychotic features. The year before all of this, Dina was already investigated once by CPS after she had a psychotic episode and she was ordered not to be alone with her children. However, John refused to get her any sort of psychological help, claiming that the church teachings forbade it. John would also begin beating his wife, and one night he beat her particularly viciously with a wooden spoon in front of their children after she claimed she wanted to give up her children and give them away to the pastor of the Waters of Life Church. After this, however, on November 22nd in 2004, Dina would tell investigators that she saw a news story about a lion mauling a young boy, and she took this as a sign of the impending apocalypse. She then claimed that she heard God's voice commanding her to cut off her baby's arms 
and then her own, in a tribute to her faith. Police would find Dina Schlosser in her living room, covered in blood, a deep gash in her own shoulder, but both of her baby's arms severed completely from their body. Dina, unwilling or unable to cut her own arms off, but was more than willing to do so with her child, was led away. It was noted that Dina was humming a Christian hymn and repeatedly saying, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. The child would not survive. Dina would be found not guilty for reasons of insanity, even though the pastor of their church would say on the stand that she stopped taking her medications entirely because he told her that mental illness didn't exist and that she was only experiencing demons. Thankfully, the state would do the bare minimum and at least bar her from seeing her surviving child ever again. John was given a slap on the wrist and is only allowed to see his children if there's another relative present. However, Dina would only spend four years in a psychiatric facility where she became best friends with Andrea Yates, who you might know from the news because she was the woman who murdered five of her own children. Yates believed by drowning her children in the bathtub that she was protecting them from Satan. Dina would go on record to say, Well, she's almost my identical personality. I think we'll be friends forever. I've only known her for a short period of time, but I believe the feeling is mutual. She probably thinks the same thing. In 2008, Dina was released to an outpatient facility and allowed to roam the public freely. She was ordered to be on birth control and to take her antipsychotic medications and to see a therapist and not have any unsupervised contact with any children ever. However, she was recommitted to an inpatient facility only two years later in 2010, after neighbors found her wandering around in the early hours of the morning, completely dazed and confused. Set loose once more in 2002, or 2012, only two years later, Dina would start using her maiden name, Dina, Dina Leitner. She was discovered to be working at a Walmart in Plano, Texas, and when media outlets discovered her, and within hours of the report airing, she was fired. But now, who knows what would happen in the next eight years. Eight years, Dina would vanish into some strange state of obscurity, doing no one knows what. But in 2020, Dina was sent back to a state hospital. Judge Andrea Thompson confirmed that she has religious delusions when she's not on her antipsychotic medications, and that it is better for everyone if she remained in the state of Texas's round-the-clock hospice care. Our next story will cover the kidnapping of Elizabeth Smart. On June 5th, 2002, Elizabeth Smart was kidnapped by Brian David Mitchell and Wanda Barzee from her home while she was asleep. These two sadists believed that Brian was an angel sent to Earth to battle the Antichrist. But in order to reach his full power, he would need virgin brides. It was only a little after midnight when Elizabeth was awakened in her bedroom by the sound of footsteps and the feeling of cold metal against her cheek. A man whispered, I have a knife to your neck. Don't make a sound. Get out of bed and come with me or I will kill you and I'll kill your family. Brian would lead the little girl out of the house and marched her for hours through the forest to a camp where Wanda would be waiting. While captive, Elizabeth Smart was repeatedly raped, shackled to a tree, starved till near death, and was forced to go by the new name of Esther. 
For the next nine months, they moved between California and Utah. Brian and Wanda forced the child to consume alcohol and drugs and often did not feed her for days. All of this being done, of course, in the name of God. Brian would also rename himself Emmanuel and would attempt to indoctrinate her and other victims into his religious worship. Going back to the night of the kidnapping, Elizabeth's younger sister Mary had been pretending to be asleep in the other bed of their shared room, while silently attempting to observe her sister's kidnapper in the dark. She would tell reporters, I stayed in bed, I was scared, I couldn't do anything, I was shocked, petrified, I didn't know what to do, knowing someone had come into my bedroom and taken my sister. After several months, however, it occurred to Mary that the kidnapper resembled a man who had once worked on their home as a handyman, a person who called himself Emmanuel. Police discovered that Emmanuel was in fact Brian, and in February of 2003, America's Most Wanted aired his photograph in an episode. Incredibly, only a month later, a passerby just happened to recognize Brian on the street after seeing the show. Police captured the sadist that same night. Once in custody, Brian Mitchell was seen by doctors to determine his mental capacity to stand trial. While doctors believed he was ill-fit, the courts thankfully overruled that opinion and continued to trial. Brian was sentenced to two life sentences, but somehow his culp- his Wanda, the bitch with him- <laughs> was only sentenced to 15 years and horrifically would only serve nine. Remarkably, Elizabeth Smart would return not only to a normal life, but would go on to become an activist on behalf of kidnapped survivors and child victims of violence and sexual abuse. Recounting her inspirational story in interviews with Katie Couric and Oprah Winfrey and eventually becoming a noted speaker, Elizabeth also helped to author the United States Department of Justice's 2008 Handbook for Kidnapped Survivors titled You Are Not Alone, The Journey from Abduction to Empowerment. Our next story is of Isaiah Kailbu. In 2009, Jennifer Hopper and Teresa Boots were attacked and sexually assaulted in their home by the religious sadist claiming he had been told by God to do so. For several hours, Isaiah would rape, stab, beat, and torture the two women before Teresa was able to break through their bedroom window and try to escape. Isaiah gave chase to stab her repeatedly before he would then flee into the night. Teresa would die in her yard as Jennifer struggled to even open the door to their home from how covered in blood that she was. Isaiah was captured for six days later leaving the entire community in a paralyzed state of terror for nearly a week straight. He would spend his time in the courtroom behaving as feral as possible in an attempt to plea at an insanity defense. He would have profane outbursts to the point of having to be strapped to a chair in a collar that would induce light electric shocks in any time he acted up too much, like a, uh, like a fucking bark collar on a dog. Uh, at one point... This little bitch was so desperate to get out of it that he tried to kill himself by swallowing a small pencil. But he was taken to the hospital and it was removed, and he was taken right back. Isaiah insisted that he was innocent and that he was only following God's instructions. The Seattle Times reported him raving madly. I was there, and I was told by my God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to attack my enemies, and I did so. When Isaiah was given a life sentence, Jennifer spoke to the deranged man directly. She said, I did beg you for my life, and she begged you for her life, and I tried to show you our humanity and any shred of goodness that I was hoping you would see. 
but it didn't matter that day. I wish you no harm. I never wanted you put to death, and I don't seek revenge. I don't want anything bad to happen to you in prison. Nothing. I wish you peace every last day of your life. And to this day, Isaiah is still living off of our tax dollars in prison. Our last one is Robert Louis Deer. When Robert was arrested for killing three people at Planned Parenthood Center in Colorado in 2016, he told detectives that aborted fetuses would one day meet him in heaven and thank him for what he had done. This guy, this guy's a real fucking jackass. Um, he also believed that Barack Obama was the Antichrist, of course, and that Robin Williams had killed himself solely because he had made a joke about Obama and that the Antichrist must have infected his brain and made him do so. Killed in the attack were police officers Garrett Swayze, who was a father of two, an army veteran, Karee Stewart, who was also a father of two, and Jennifer Markovsky, a mother of two. None of these three worked for Planned Parenthood. Nine other people were injured in the attack, and the senseless slaughter came about after several months of deceptively edited video recordings which were being distributed and supported by religious outlets claiming, fully claiming, that fully formed babies were being butchered and sold for parts. And, um, I've seen these, these flyers before. Not just online, I've, I've seen these crazies passing them out. You know, we, uh, around where I live, we have a Planned Parenthood. There's always a bunch of idiots out there protesting, and they do. They'll pass out pictures, and it's these grotesque things that they must have just found you know, scrolling online, purposely looking for, you know, just scrolling gore threads of mutilated babies. And they'll just pass them out. It's like these these crotchety old people just have, they just have these. And, I mean, God knows. I mean, these people are pure evil. And they're just at home probably jacking off to these photos. But, anyway, police officers ended the attack by crashing an armored vehicle into the lobby to rescue everybody who had locked themselves in a protected room inside the building. Robert took a gunshot wound to the stomach, despite wearing his homemade ballistic vest that he made with silver coins and duct tape. Getting shot once, he immediately surrendered like a little bitch. One victim said that she was approached outside the clinic by Robert, who told her she shouldn't have come to the clinic that day. Robert, being a failure at literally everything in his life, being only a foot away from this woman, shot her and hit her in the arm. And she would recover completely fine. <laughs> like, how, how much do you have to just fucking suck to be point blank from someone and, and you screw up like that? I mean, thankfully he did, obviously, of course, but like, what a fucking loser. During court proceedings, Robert referred to himself as a warrior fighting for the babies and also told investigators that he thought highly of another man who had murdered a Florida abortion provider. Investigations into his past revealed that he ranted about religion on social media and had lived without water and electricity on multiple occasions. Robert is currently in a mental hospital after having been found to be too delusional to stay in trial. This is controversial, of course, Besides the obvious, but the amount of evidence that show Robert knew exactly what he was doing and that he is fully proud to be doing it. According to police reports, Robert was sound enough to stop for directions multiple times while driving from his home to his clinic and eventually calling Planned Parenthood directly to get directions. Still, he was so unbelievably stupid that he resorted to tearing out a page from the phone book with the address and finally just typing it into his phone. 
And then he's still using the GPS, still had to stop and ask for directions. Robert had repeatedly said that he knew what he was doing and he was proud of it, but insists that the truth is being hidden from because of Obama. Uh, in the past, Robert was also known to glue the lock shut at other Planned Parenthood centers, showing this was a pattern of behavior. And he boasted this proudly, saying he saved all the babies that day. And again, this guy has such a deep, deep, gross obsession with babies that he is... I mean, I don't think it's a stretch to say that this guy's probably got some sick shit in his closet. I mean, this dude daydreams about being worshipped by babies in heaven after murdering a bunch of people. Because once more, um, God told me to. So happy December, everybody. Um, I know it's a, it's a festive time of year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. So I thought, what, what better way to open it up than with a story reminding you why anytime you see the stupid Jesus is the reason for the season, just remember that um, apparently God telling you to do terrible things is the reason for the season. I used to, did I used to, I don't know if I ever liked Christmas, to be honest. I think I did. I know we used to have snow, but we don't have snow anymore. We get ice and mud. Growing up, we would have like two or three feet of fluffy, real snow. But, um, you know, climate change is a myth, of course. So, <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thank you for listening and thank you for continuing to listen. And if you're new, thank you for stopping in. If you want more of my voice or my posts, you can follow me on Instagram, of course, at Tinkerbuff underscore. You can follow me on Letterboxd at just Tinkerbuff. Any social media, just type in Tinkerbuff. You will probably find me. Um, I also have another a podcast series going out where, ironically, I'm making the first announcement of this podcast on this episode. Me and a bunch of friends were reading the Bible cover to cover and analyzing just truly the, the profoundness of it all. <laughs> we're also uh, taking several, several shots beforehand, but it's a good time. We blow out the microphone more than I do on just a... A normal daily occasion. I'm also going to try to get another microphone. Alright. This is a long enough outro. I hope you guys have a good week. And I will see you next Monday.